日本史学習に最高にもってこいのサイトサムライアーカイブスポッドキャストへようこそ美しい自然にあふれてる縄文時代から波乱万丈な幕末まで全時代を網羅して日本史の隅から隅まで一緒に語り合いましょうでは早速日本史の世界へ Welcome back to the Samurai Archives podcast and part two of our conversation with Trevor Absalon. As a dealer,、mm-hmm. or, or as somebody in, who, who, who works with this as a, as a business,、um, and you, you, you've mentioned several times you know, that you're, you're still active in it, and, you, and, and you, you, I think you actually just said that you, you, know, you have more business now because you're, you're dealing one on one with people rather than through eBay and, and so forth. But just speak. From, from somebody in the business aspect of it, what do you look for in a customer? Because obviously, you know, in our, in our two conversations with you, we understand that you're not, you're not looking to do, because you're, you're also a customer, you're also a collector yourself, you know, you're not looking for、um, somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about just so that you can pick something to it, tell them that it was personally worn by Tokugawa Ieyasu at Sekigahara and, and sell it for a million dollars or whatever. So, And you're very selective with your customer base, it, it, it seems. So, for you, what would you look for in somebody who was coming to you and saying, Hey, I'm looking, you know, I would like to get into、uh, collecting armor? What kinds of things would you want that person to be? I don't know. Like, what would you look for in someone who you would identify as yeah, a good、Anderson. customer? Yeah.、Um, okay. I want them to be passionate about the subject like I am. And I can give an example of someone who wasn't. He was an extremely wealthy man. Who, he, he actually bought five armors off me, bought five at, at one time. He just said, I want five armors. And I said, Well, geez, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of styles and ages. And, you know, I mean, it, it's art. And, you know, do you prefer Picasso or do you want a Monet?、And、right. I don't care. I just need five. You know, and I was like, well, gee, that's,、um, that's, that's difficult. So I sent him an array of pictures and he just, eeny, meeny, miny, mo, take those five, good, bang. You know, will you deliver them? Sure, I'll set them up. I'll come over, do the whole thing. He had no passion. It was just something, I don't know, he was filling up a Fourier in his mansion and, you know, <laughs> he, he just had to have some armor there. And it was、huh. no interest in the items really. And that was really discouraging. I mean, okay, it was business, but I, I was really disappointed with the whole dealing with this individual. I want someone to be passionate about it. And then a lot of times people will email me and say, Well, I want to buy an armor. I've been saving. And, you know, what do you recommend? And they're going, it, I want one signed by a smith, and I want this, and it has to be that, and blah, blah, blah. And I usually say, I don't know if you want to go there, you know, and it has to have a good resale value. I say, Well, If you're looking for an investment, go buy gold or something. You know, or I, would, you know, I would say, you, don't, don't look at this as an investment. I mean, if you buy the right piece, it is. It's going to hold its value, it's going to gain in value. But you、right. should be buying these items because you're passionate about it and you're going to derive satisfaction from ownership of it. And that's why I tell a guy, like, you could buy a piece signed by Nobuye, you know, Miochi Nobuye or something. and... It not appeal to you whatsoever. It might be historically valuable, interesting to serious collectors as a very unique piece, et cetera, et cetera. But you, it may not appeal to you from your artistic、right. perspective. So 
if you walk by that every day and you go, well, it's historically valuable and it's interesting, but it mm, just doesn't do anything for me. Did you get good value for money? I say no. I say buy the piece that turns your crank. Go look, you know, it doesn't matter if it's signed, doesn't matter if this, as long as it's a, you know, authentic, legitimate piece, restored, whatever. If you look at that every day and you go, that is absolutely awesome. I'm so glad I bought that. Then it was money well spent. So I usually, I will often turn people down or at least I'll put them off to a degree and say, I think you should just wait. And right. I think you're often surprised by that. I'm like, no, you don't, don't rush into it. You know, I need one now. You know, it's no, you'll, you'll end up buying a piece of junk right now. And, and, uh, as your knowledge grows, you'll realize, Ooh, gee, I don't really like that. And you'll stuff it in the closet and then you go buy another one. And, and there it's often people are saying, well, I, I only want to spend $7,000. Well, gee, you know, the reality is you're going to get something like this for 7,000. They're like, Oh, well, but I could get a daimyo one on eBay for less. I'm like, well, you know, you're back to that argument again. You're like, well, you can go do that. But you'll find out in the long run, trying to be cheap or trying to do something, you'll end up spending more money by the time you actually get to the level you want to be because you had to buy three, four, five pieces to teach yourself what they actually were. Whereas right. it would be cheaper to buy a good piece right away, wait for the right item that appeals to you, and then have that piece for a long period of time and enjoy it. So Well, and, it, and if, it's, if, if someone's going to throw out that, well, I can get a, a, a daimyo armor on eBay for cheaper or whatever then if the, if they're not willing to be educated on the way the system works and the fact that 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 quote unquote daimyo armor isn't really what what they yeah isn't really the real deal um either a they don't care or or b they're not uh they're not willing to be educated and and just don't you know aren't, aren't really worth <laughs> yeah so you send them on their out way. at that point it's like yeah well you get what point, you pay I'd for like yeah, you know, okay, well, you go do that and, and have fun with it, so. Yeah, exactly, and at this point in time, at one point, I think I had this, you know, feeling, this white man's burden or whatever, like, I've got to save the world, right? And it's like, uh, now I'm like, no, absolutely, go have it, mate. You know, that's, um, you know, that, that daimyo armor was meant for you, you know, if that's what turns your crank, <laughs> feel free, you know, fill your boots. I don't know why I'm not smart enough to see the value in it, but you carry on. You know, I only right. do this for a living. Therefore, you would probably know more than me about this. So carry on. Um, and I've, again, I've become very negative in that regard. I just can't save people who can't save themselves anymore. So, sure. Well, and, and I mean, I think for me, my my feeling on it, and I'm fairly sure that you would agree, is is that you know, people need to buy what they're going to get enjoyment out of and if for you a reproduction armor or a uh you know something like that is is you can be happy with it and it's going to give you satisfaction and you know what it is then then okay yeah. um but and i know i know a lot of my customers could come forward and say i've often told them there's nothing wrong with starting with a replica right a good right. replica because it'll give you a good idea of what an armor should be about and then you right. can progress from there into something real. Nothing wrong with a good replica. Why not? You know. And um, I've never said no to decent reproductions. So, yeah, I mean, it's really whatever works for you. But again, as for reproductions, I would never say don't go down that road. You have to do this to a certain point, though, because if you look at the cost of some reproductions, 
certain companies I you know I don't know I haven't looked at the prices recently in Japan when that were making them in uh, Kyushu they were twenty thirty thousand dollars and you start to go wow if you're gonna be investing that much money you may want to just think about going right to an original because you could get one right. for a competitive price at that point in time but a sure. cheap decent well-used reproduction yeah it's a great place to start and I've always said that so um, we've, you've kind of talked about the individual collectors and that that whole that whole situation. Um, I was kind of this this may be naive of me, but I kind of feel like uh, museums and the people who put together exhibits. Uh, if you've worked with them, I feel like they would be the ones who would be the most interested in getting accurate information, detailed information, uh, accurate pieces. Uh, basically, you know, for the good of the museum, the good of their exhibitions. But what's your experience with museums? Uh, not very good, actually. Really. Yeah, I, I found, again, a lot of the curators of Japanese departments or the sections that cover these sort of items, with only a few exceptions that I know, often have no knowledge about these items. I mean, beyond the real basics, you know, oh, well, this is a, a helmet and that's a, a mask. and But a lot of them, it's not their speciality. Very few people are really well-educated in this subject matter. But it, because they're the curator of that department, it falls under their, uh, you know, their custodianship. And uh, yet they're making decisions on, well, this is a good piece and we should add this to our collection, really based on very little knowledge. And so um, I've seen a lot of museums where pieces are labeled wrong, fake pieces in the collection. And I mean, obvious fakes to me, uh, including, a, for example, that man I was saying who was a Gendai Smith who made a lot of excellent so men i've seen several museums where his pieces are in there dated as 17th and 18th century items wow and the watanabe art museum was a good example of that when they invited me to write the book on their collection which is actually a two-part book with part two sitting in my drawer never to be published bitter me <laughs> um that uh i walked in and they have a, a display case which had perhaps 80 helmets in it and at 100 feet, I was awestruck. Was, that is fantastic. At 50 feet, I started to go, ooh, oh, oh, I'm not sure about that. At 20 feet, I was, oh, God, definitely, oh, no, no. <laughs> you know. And once you got right up to the case, I went, you know, within seconds, I was saying to the, the curator there, going, well, that's a fake. And, and you know, they were, they were aghast. They've invited me down there to, you know, write a book on their brilliant collection, and I... One of the first things out of my mouth is, well, that's a fake. And they were like, it can't be. So it, it, it is. It absolutely is. I've had six of them. And they, you know, no, it's not. And, you know, I said, well, open the case. I'll show you how I could, I could prove this to you here and now. And I did. And their jaws would drop. And, I, you know, you'd go through the case and you go, well, that's a fake. And that's a fake. And that's a good reproduction. And that's a fake. And this one's been severely altered. So really it's not representing what it is. And, and they were flabbergasted. And there's a lot of collections like that out there because, again, very few people know this material well. And, what did uh, they then do? <laughs> That's the good question. <laughs> um, nothing. <laughs> you know, you just carry on, right? And that's why when I wrote the book, I said I didn't put all the pieces in, but I sort of wrote the book and then went, no, this isn't right. I can't just describe this item as being that because even if it looks like that, it's not what it really is. So I sort of wrote the book once and then went, this would be dishonest, trashed the book, rewrote it and said, you know, warts and all, we're going to 
talk about these pieces even if they've got flaws or there's serious considerations here in regards to the integrity of the item. And um, maybe luckily for me, they don't read English, I'm not sure, but they liked the book. So, and that's what I was trying to tell people, like, be aware. You know, um, there's some great fakes out there, really, really good ones. And um, you can, if you don't know this stuff, you're really gambling with your money if you're... um, you know, not knowledgeable. And that's why, again, start with a reproduction, perhaps start with a certain piece or at least find someone who you can rely on to vet these items for you before you go down that road. And that's one of the problems when we were talking earlier about um, dealers who sort of take advantage of people in my mind is because, you know, it's that once bitten, twice shy thing that people get, they get this passion about this. Oh, I want samurai armor. It's such cool stuff. I just love to have one of those. And they go out and they buy a piece off eBay. Ooh, 16th century helmet, only $9.99. And they buy one. And it turns out to be a plastic piece with, you know, still the mold stamps on it and little pieces of plastic hanging off the ends. And, <laughs> and, they, and they're all bitter about it. Oh, I've got ripped off. I hate this industry. They're all dirt bags. And you kill off another customer, a potential collector customer, and that's why I'm, I'm like, every time there's a scam, you're sort of destroying the future of this and you're killing off important collectors who you need to be there to preserve these items. So integrity is really, really critical here. Like, it's not like a World War II, you know, U.S. Army helmet bowl. It's going to, there's, it's going to survive. You know, it isn't really right. going to down that much, you know, within reason. Well, I guess in 200 years, maybe they will actually, I I might have to rephrase that, but um, so every time you someone gets ripped off by these scams or misinformation or whatever else it is, it's actually quite detrimental beyond just losing that person for the you know at least for my sake you know it's a customer where I can make an ex, you know a business living off of. It's more right. detrimental than that. It's just bad for the whole thing. Okay, so I, I'm going to ask. The, the the tough question here because I know that some of our listeners are going to be processing this, this in our head. And, what's that? This isn't a question about lesbians, is it? No. <laughs> okay. So. Well, well, that was going to be my follow up, but um, okay. So you go to these places like the museum, and I mean, you know, for for most of us, we would think that a museum would have an interest in representing things correctly, and that they would have some sort of um, maybe not expert inherent in the museum, you know, like as part of the museum, but that they would consult somebody uh, who knows what they're doing and would, would would try to get things right. And so you have this, you know, where where you go and you tell them and show them uh, these mistakes and that and that these are, are are fakes and so forth. So obviously there's a lack of expertise even within um, even within Japan, and oh, that. You know, you, Japan's we, probably one of the worst, actually. Yeah, where 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 they don't there there's not enough people there who know what they're talking about to explain what's wrong with all of this. So exactly. that being the case, how did you come by this knowledge that you can go into a Japanese museum and pull apart a, a kabuto and show them that that to the point where they you know, recognize and, and, and go, oh, okay, this foreigner is right. Because we all know that, you know, inherent in every Japanese person's mind is that there's no way any foreign person can know enough about their 
you know, can know more than them about their history, culture, language, whatever it is, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you become the head Nagaijing, right? That's yes, not... exactly. I mean, simply by virtue of of genetics, you you can't know as much about it as them. So what impressed me about that whole story was not that you were able to spot the fakes, but that you were able to show them, even though they didn't do anything about it, you were able to show them at, that you know, what was wrong with it. And, and they acknowledged it to you, um, oh. that they, they were like, Oh, okay. Well, I mean, in, in the case of that particular piece, you could literally pull back the liner. I mean, if you, you'd had questions all the way through, you'd kind of be shocked and go, really, you can't see this is a fake just by looking at it. You know, these sort of machine molded trims that have been crimped at the end and stuff. And you're going, Hmm, don't see any problem here and the sort of spray painted finishes and stuff and right. you know, pull back the liner and you look inside and there was just no way anyone with any integrity and knowledge about antiques could not recognize this as being modern. And that it's, was it's, it's stamped you know, made in China. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the you could see the rivets and it's still glossy, shiny, you know, pressed aluminum or whatever, and you're sure. like any any questions here? And it's like, no, let's just put it back on the shelf and not talk about this anymore. How did I get there? Um, to be honest, I got there because I was always angry about the fact that I was getting ripped off. And I, as I started buying, I got burned constantly. Right. Not that I realized it at the time, but as time progressed, you realized I got burned. And I got burned by that guy. And I got burned by this guy. And even this guy, who I liked a lot, I realized after time, this guy who would be my teacher for a period of time probably ran his course of knowledge and then carried on pretending he knew what he was talking about and really had no idea what he was talking about. But I put a lot of faith in these individuals and you'd get to a point because I was really passionate about it. I would try to study. I would try to learn. I would compare the pieces. I would go out and document it and look at it and, you know, and spend hours looking at these different items and you'd come back and go, you don't have a clue what you're talking about, do you? So I just kept pursuing topics that I think for a lot of these people, their passion ended at a certain point. And a lot of them were dealers primarily. And they weren't just dealers in armor. Armor was just another commodity to them. And I just happened to be the person who was always after that commodity. And so, you know, as you bought enough, they had more and more time for you and whether they had to make time so you bought it or not. And, you know, I would just learn and I was very aggressive about learning and I really had questions. Well, why is this? Can you explain that? And they couldn't. So I would go and try to answer these. And, um, and again, as a collector, I was always thinking, I don't know, I'm not a particularly moral person or something, but I just thought, well, a lot of things, oh, this is wrong. They shouldn't do that. Or, you know, people need to know about this. And, um, it's just my character, I suppose, that I always wanted to show truth because I like antiques and I, I like history and I you realize the more you study history how manipulated most of the history we learn is or how inaccurate reflection of the historical event it is and so I'm try to be a bit of a puritan that way and go no 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 we have to recognize this as being that and whether they say it might be this that's actually not true it's actually this if that makes sense no it makes perfect sense so that's that's sort of how I got there, and I um, I just it, I it actually, know, it wasn't that you were challenging people, but you I was capable of saying no, I I can show you why because, 
and I just had the ability over time. And the thing is, this is what really made me powerful, or I would say powerful, skilled in what I did, is the fact that I handled so much armor over right. a couple of decades. Every single day I was going out, you know, buying, selling. Once I got into the business, that was what I did. I went out and bought these things aggressively. And so... And I would come back with van loads of stuff from these buying trips and spend, you know, weeks photographing them and writing about them. And, the you know, when you handle something, you learn about it. It's a tangible thing. It's no longer just this uh, sort of philosophical thing that's coming out of a book. Not, it's not all theory. It's tangible. Right. So I can look at the book and go, well, no, nah, that's not right. This is the way it is. Or, okay, I can see how that's made now, uh, but that doesn't really explain it right but I understand where they were going and now I understand how it should be. And that's, I think what really gave me the edge is I wasn't like a lot of big dealers who, you know, a lot of big dealers got a lot of their merchandise from me and they got a lot right. of their information from me, but I don't think they might be, they might have better clientele or, or clientele with deeper pockets and they're reaching people that I can't reach, but I don't think they're more knowledgeable in the subject of armor but they have the ability to buy better pieces. But that isn't because of their knowledge. It's because of their pocketbook. And um, so I just, because I managed to handle so much of it, I think it really put me above a lot of people. Right. Not all. There's There are still some very knowledgeable people out there. And I will also say there's some very knowledgeable people who we will never hear from. That some of them are so disgruntled already, you know, that they're they're just never going to talk. They're never going to write anything. They're never going to do anything. They know about the subject matter and they know it very well. But they're either by character or restrictions in time, lifestyle, whatever. They're not going to write books on it. They're not going to do podcasts. They're not going to do interviews. They're not going right. to share that information for whatever reason. But there are others. It's not me. I'm not the only one. I would never say that. But there are very sure. few of us. You know, sure. Well, I mean, in, in many ways, listening to you, uh, listening to you describe it, 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 it reminds me very much of like, you know, uh, uh, to, again, to go back to my own experience in researching uh, Japanese military history in Nagashino, where historians had, had only looked at one source, you know, or another source for their information, and and nobody had done a comprehensive layout, you know, nine different sources that, that detail what happened at Nagashino and identify where they all match up and where they all, you know, diverge and try to use that as a starting point for what they were looking at. Um, yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, doing that and it was, was the first step in me being able to say, Hey, you know, you guys are all wrong. <laughs> um, and it remains to be seen whether I, uh, can make any impact in the field uh, eventually, but but I mean yeah you know it it it's it's a matter of experience and and uh, the more you can deal with stuff like that whether it's you know you handling armor or me reading you know umpteen different manuscripts of of what's out there then um, it helps you to put together. Uh, well, I mean, I would say even even for those of our listeners or, or readers at Samurai Archives who are just starting to learn about Japanese history, mm -hmm. the more the more authors and the more different authors you can learn, read, and have access to, you know, they're, that you're, that's going to help you build a composite picture that then allows you to challenge things that just don't look right. 
so that when certain people who will still remain nameless in this podcast, you know, <laughs> make assertions about uh, some things, you can go, well, that's not how how you know my impression of it is from reading these other more reputable authors and so forth. So I have a funny story about certain people who still remain unmentioned in this podcast. That in one of his books. There's a picture of a red armor from the Hikone clan, or at least that's how it's described. Um, sure, yes. In the uh, Totori Watanabe Bijutsukan, actually. And um, it's described as this, you know, historical piece, whatever. And the funny thing is, it's actually a reproduction, a modern reproduction. And I wore it for a TV commercial in Japan. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it, it, sure enough, it shows up in an Osprey. So, um, yeah. yeah, you know, go figure. Of of the of the Hikone clan, I like that. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Classic stuff. Just because so, they lived there doesn't mean it was their clan name there. Yeah, shot. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Goes on and on, doesn't it? So, so were you selling coffee or alcohol? <laughs> I was actually. It was a little gimmick for the museum itself, but uh, and then there was some follow up uh, news interviews, whatever. But yeah, coffee or alcohol. Yeah, pretty much the only two choices, eh? Yeah. <laughs> It should have been an energy drink or something. True, yeah. true. <laughs> Fight all. Fight all. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There was something I was going to say. Like, oh, here's here's another subject. Talking about museums, there's um a big exhibition just being marketed right now. I believe it's the EDG Group, Exhibits Development Group, and the exhibit itself is called Samurai Warriors. Go figure. Sixty percent of the armors in this international exhibit that's now touring the world at a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a pop, should you choose to have it in your local museum, came from <laughs> me. And yet they all came from me and went to bigger dealers. And I'm not bitter about this. I'm just saying that I think where I went wrong a lot in my business scheme was um well, I just wasn't a good businessman really, is that I found great items, and I knew great items, and I could identify great items, and I could describe them, but I always let them go probably well below their value onto people who had, again, deeper pockets, and then they took the credit for finding masterpieces. And now we have this, this, this exhibition was recently in Milan, and was a huge success in Milan, was highly trumpeted in Europe. And yet there's no recognition of the fact that I found the majority of the pieces in the exhibition. And ironically enough, some of the other pieces in the position exhibition that are questionable, although these people unfortunately don't know it, came from that one man I mentioned earlier in the podcast who has this ability or had this ability to create these great stories and uh, really did the f really flashy sort of uh, sales gimmick when he sold stuff. And some of those pieces I know and a lot of other people know are actually, you know, they've been refabricated to create certain things that are very appealing. So um, that's where I went wrong, I think, is I didn't really push myself as a source as much as I just did it for a passion and, and didn't draw the recognition for being able to find these items. And so a lot of great stuff out there, people don't realize it came from me. And it went on to others, and that's where I'm definitely changing myself in the future. And if this right. contract with this other fellow comes off, I will um, probably be doing a very massive exhibition, and I will definitely be putting my name on the top of it, which I think I need to do so I can start to get the uh, respect that the bigger, how would you say, for example, um, 
Well, companies like Osprey, why do they have certain people write on certain subjects? Only because right. their name's already well known. Right. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean they're the best authority on that matter. They're just the most well-known authority on that matter, so to speak. And right. so I have to get my name out there on the, uh, you know, up in line in the limelight to be recognized. So they companies like that may give me a chance to, you know, uh, bring my material to a, a wider audience. And uh, that's my next goal um, while I'm doing things is I will start to present myself on a bigger level so I can start to re reach a wider base of people with my information rather than just the marketing so much because that's already not so much an issue because serious buyers still find me because of my reputation. Sure. So sure. That, that was very self-serving that little bit, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. We're all about self-promotion on, uh, on this podcast. No, it's uh, it's definitely interesting too. I mean, you, there there is a point where, no matter how passionate you are about something or how good you are with something, if you're not willing to kind of, not sell out, but kind of make your name known and kind of do things that you may not necessarily want to, you, you need to kind of push to that level before you're sort of noticed. I guess you could say. Yeah, definitely. And again, like you know, just being, you know, a person with integrity, wherever that that doesn't get you anywhere. You know what I mean? Right. Um, well, well, and with, with as many podcasts as we've done about uh, Nagashino and various projects of mine, I'm certainly not going to criticize anyone for <laughs> mentioning the work that they're doing. So, you know, I, I, I've the doing this podcast has helped me get uh, my name out in certain circles as well. So, well, certainly. you know, I'll, I'll give you a kudos for again challenging the status quo, and that's the problem. So much of this is just. There it is. This is the book. Oh, it's got it covered. That's how it is. It's the same with helmets. It's the same with Japanese history, the samurai, ninja, right. for God's sakes. You know, it's all there. Therefore, that's the way it is. There's nothing to debate anymore. And that's wrong. So much of it is highly debatable because a lot of it's pure mythology. It's fictitious. Right. But it's sexy. You know, the way it's been marketed, it's very platable. It's, it, a lot, it appeals to people. So a lot of people are reluctant to have that changed. But the reality is, if you really want to know what it was like, well, this is what it was, or this is how it looked, or these were what the pieces were. Um, right. And that's, uh, that's, it's hard to change existing uh, mindsets towards anything, you know, and when oh, you're, especially when it's only... In many cases, people romanticize things and they don't want to change their ideas. So, exactly. you know, it's exactly. it's much sexier to think of, of that uh, Kawari Kabuto as having belonged to, you know, oh, I don't know, Otani Yoshitsugu or... or I hope they washed know, it. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I hope they disinfected it, you're right. Um, uh, or, or, or whomever... Right, but somebody that that there's a name associated with it, you know, uh, you know, and so that's that's a much people would much rather have that idea than be told, well, no, we don't know who it belonged to, but it's a very well constructed designed piece that exactly. that is certainly worth having. Yeah, um, exactly. They want the romantic story, you know, exactly. just like in in everything else, you know, they want the romantic story of. Uh, and you know, that's where know, the big money being really a, is. a cavalry charge or some garbage like that. And, sure. And it's not the way things were. And if you're a good businessman, that's what you would be talented in. Is you, you have an eye maybe for a good piece, but you have a right. better talent for writing a good story. 
and you merge right. the two and then you that's where the real money is and again that's where i fail as a as a i suppose a businessman is i'm always going well i there is no knowledge and there's no way of tracking this and there's no way of proving this other than to say it's this style and it came from this time period and was probably made by this group of smiths period what, right. what more do you want to know and people wow geez that's boring but this other guy's got one again that tokugawa yasu himself washed his face in you know, so. <laughs> well, you know, I've kind of learned over the years that most people just don't really, they'll dabble in something with no real interest. They have just a topical interest and they really have no desire to dig any deeper than, than sort of this topical, wow, this is kind of cool. And so many people are always around to take advantage of that. People who themselves maybe reach a certain point and then decide to kind of sit on their laurels and just cater to these people with a topical interest, like... Uh, I don't know some authors that we will not mention. Basically, but who repackage comes down the to, same books seventeen thousand times? Yeah, it just so. kind of comes down to people uh, will have a topical interest, but no desire to really get into it, um, and they're they're happy with the, the sort of a, a topical treatment that maybe they'll they'll read a few books on this topical treatment, but they really have no interest in going into any depth. And it kind of sounds like. In the armor world, you've got a similar thing where people may have some money and they they just kind of think, wow, wouldn't it be cool to uh, own a helmet? But they don't really have any interest in actually, basically, they, they have no interest in, in shattering their, their image of, of, wow, this is cool, and they don't really want to go beyond that. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And it's, it's, it's uh, quite discouraging at times for me because, again, I, I'm really passionate about this. And... and um, these are pieces of history that, again, are, well, we are losing a lot of them uh, on a daily basis. It's a surprising how much of this stuff is just rotting away in Japan, you know. So, we, right. And then, again, there's people who are recreating new ones that are, again, far sexier than anything original could be. And that's still happening. And so, therefore, they're putting the authentic pieces at risk by recreating pieces, I wouldn't say superior, maybe aesthetically superior, and um, changing the perspective on what armor is in the, in, in the eyes of, you know, the most collectors out there. And sure. again, I know, I know, and I saw it with my own eyes, a really well-known, one of the uh, few still existing armor makers in Japan making a really fabulous helmet, and it was beautiful. But I saw him making it, and I was kind of questioning what the purpose was, and sure enough, it showed up, I don't know, a year ago or so on a site for sale, antiqued out and dated as something else. And you go, well, there it is. You know, it still happens. This isn't just something that sort of happened once and came off and, and ended. It This uh, creating fakes and building pieces to meet the market and uh, create a market, it's still there. And it's, it's, it's actually a very detrimental thing, unfortunately. But... As long as people, as you say, remain shallow in their interests or, you know, they're only interested in the aesthetic or cosmetic aspects of items, it's never really going to rectify itself. And it may never. I mean, we're probably just too passionate about these subject matters to be relevant. Well, I was going to I, I was gonna say um, before we, you know, our listeners shut us off because we're yeah. sounding like a bunch of grumpy old men, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, it's okay to be interested in you know to 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 want a reproduction because you want or or you know whatever 
because you, you want something cool in your house that guests can come over and look at and go, wow, that's really cool. And you can say, yes, isn't it? And, and, and so forth. Right. Um, it's okay to read, you know, about different stories in samurai history and be caught up in the romanticism and the great stories, because there are great stories in Japanese history and samurai history that we, we, we all love and fell in love with and, and so forth. The problem that we have and that we're, we have on our side and that you have on your side is when people don't acknowledge that those stories are stories or people don't acknowledge that that reproduction armor is what it is. And, and that's, the, I think, the message that we're, we're getting to with this is that – That was you know, really well put, Nate. Actually, very well put. I think you summed it up really brilliantly there. Thanks. Yeah, I mean it's, 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 it's about recognizing things for what they are and not – believing something that's not that isn't actually true and trying to to separate those things out so and our uh, our listeners are are a step ahead of the crowd by having an interest in actually listening to the podcast where we get some extremely esoteric subjects that I'm sure the the average samurai or cool crowd probably would have no interest in but hey kudos to you for listening and yes, uh, definitely. you know you I actually time. you know one last question I have and sure. is uh, is that you know a lot of, we have there's you know, people who, who make armor, uh, you know, the armor society, even a uh, friend of the uh, web page, friend of the podcast, uh, Anthony Bryant, Anthony, uh, made yeah. armor. Now, do these people who make armor, I, I can't imagine that they make them with the intent of selling them, uh, you know, as as authentic. And do they know, obviously, they must know that this does happen. But do armorers who make the armor find their pieces being sold as authentic and, and try to do say, hey, you know, actually, I made that. That's a good question. That's a very good question. Um, if, if for no yeah. other reason, so that they could get credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Anthony, great guy. I, I, he's never, ever made any, you know, he's never commented in any way about, um, and I know from, you know, my dealings with Anthony, he would never, ever produce something in, in order to try to pass it off as an authentic thing. He's just tried to educate people on how it could be made and how you could do your own and, and the general uh, fabrication techniques that were required. The armor makers I'm talking about are really sort of the last few truly talented armor makers in Japan. And most of them will never uh, reproduce something with the intention of it being passed on as being an older piece. But unfortunately, once it gets beyond their hands, that's what usually happens. Um, there are a few, unfortunately, who will do anything for a commission. What do you need? I'll make it. I don't care what becomes of it. I don't care what you say about it. And, right. uh, and you know, that's, that's their prerogative. Um, but for the level of armor makers you were talking about, like the armor societies and, uh, and different groups, and there's, you know, I... I I imagine those pieces may appear here and there, but they're probably so disconnected by the person who fabricated them at that point in time that uh, the person who originally produced it has no knowledge of what's become of it. And uh, and probably often the people who are selling it really have no knowledge of what the item is and may, you know, probably don't even recognize it as being a reproduction, you know, as they're selling it as a 16th century original. So... There is a lot of innocence here too, like, or well, I wouldn't say innocence, but ignorance. You know, sure. it's not willful intent, but it's through ignorance that they pass it on as being authentic. It's the ones that do it with intent that really bother me, 
And right. there's enough there's enough of that. And but see, I, I have to put in a disclaimer here to a degree. It's because I was so close to the pinnacle of this industry in Japan, where I was always meeting the top players and the top people, that you saw it at that level. Um, right. So I, you know, I'm kind of condensing it all into this one hardcore sort of podcast. And it's ugly, folks. Well, it's only because I was too close to the center. As you go farther and farther away, it may not be as ugly from your perspective. But when you get closer to the center, uh, I think it's like anything, like Washington, D.C., perhaps. It gets very, very ugly. So It's even ugly from here. <laughs> and you're in Hawaii, aren't you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so... Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit bitter and twisted, I suppose, in my perspective on it, but it's because I've been too close to the epicenter of it all. At least sure. I still have your sense of humor. Oh, uh, well, can't give up everything. Uh, one thing I would want to throw in at the end is, you know what's a real tragedy, is uh, how much armor, and well, this is going to sound horrible when you think of the human cost involved, in the tsunami that happened last year, how much history was lost in that one event in itself. And I have a right. personal example of the fact that in March 12th, I was supposed to go to um, Fukushima to buy, to look at a collection that I'd been considering. And I, I was high, I was very probable I was going to acquire it. And it had a number of amazing pieces in it. And the family waffled because it was part of an estate. And um, they said, no, no, we need a little more time. So I actually canceled my flight down to Fukushima. And sure enough, Two days later, the uh, tsunami came in. Uh, right. I think it was the 12th. Yeah. And I was considering in my own mind, wow, I would have been right there at that time when it happened. And, you know, who knows what would have transpired. But uh, I spent a lot of time in Fukushima Prefecture during my time in Japan. And I just, but that entire collection was wiped out, just gone. Nothing right. exists of it anymore. And that whole Fukushima area, because of its connection with the Soma Festival and all that, all the pieces I knew that existed there and all the items, they're just gone in one, in one, you know, giant sweep of, you know, nature's hand across the coast there, just vanished. And um, so much history is just erased there. And that, that to me, was also, I mean, again, it's, it sounds horrible when you think of all the human misery and sadness that was involved there but all this history was just wiped out and we'll never know most people will never again see these pieces we'll never know what they were um and there was thousands and thousands of items just gone full armor it's everything i i i can see how somebody might in interpret it that way but you know you're certainly not i don't think we we certainly are, are not saying that you know the the loss of those historical items uh, outweighs the, the loss of human life. That's certainly not the case. But at the same time, the loss of history is tragic. Yes. And whether it's whether you're talking about pieces of armor, whether you're talking about the uh, you know the shrine at uh, Matsushima uh, off the coast there, and everything that that has meant in Japanese culture. Yes. Uh, I mean, it, it's iconic. Uh, so you know there the, the the armor is but one example but there there's a lot there's a lot more that certainly isn't you know to diminish the the loss of life and uh, the the economic impact uh of what of people that people are dealing with today but whenever whenever you lose history like that it is tragic and it is something to be mourned along with everything else that 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 goes with it so True. 
certainly very valid points. Definitely. Well, I'll, I'll um I'll keep my existence relevant by saying this that uh, perhaps you may have me back in another podcast to talk about the again the soma nomoe where again here's almost 11 centuries of consecutive history probably on its deathbed now because of that tsunami and its its immediate location in relevance to that uh, the Fukushima reactors and how you think how 11 centuries can be wiped out by this one act of nature and uh, and then man's folly and now you know who would who would think 11 centuries of samurai history is going to be brought brought down by uh, radiation the two just don't seem to be a compatible subject and um, right. that uh, the Soma Festival was a really phenomenal thing. And if we have time in the future, that's something I would definitely like to discuss. But uh, well, well, we'll consider that, that a teaser for the audience to uh, sure. to stay tuned and look forward to that uh, in the uh, in the future. Yes, definitely. But it's been a great chat. I appreciate your time. I've probably bored the crowd to death here. But oh, uh, absolutely not. This was uh, definitely fascinating. It's always uh, always a pleasure, Trevor. I appreciate okay. you uh, taking the time. No, yeah, definitely. We'll do it again. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks. Okay, thanks for listening, and we'll be back in two weeks with another episode for you. In the meantime, please support the podcast by going to SamuraiPodcast.com and checking out the Samurai Archives bookstore, the t-shirt shop, and if you shop on Amazon.com, please use our link to support the podcast. And see you next time.